Hello, everyone, and welcome to an all-new Deep Cuts Live. I'm your host, Antoine Reed, and today we have a special guest with us. Um, today, we're going to be speaking to Dean Parsons. He is the founder of Epic Cigars. So he's someone that I've definitely followed in the industry for a very long time, and I'm looking forward to speaking to him today because it's been a while since we've spoken or communicated. So let me bring on our guest. Dean, how are you? I'm doing great, Antoine. Doing nice great, to see Antoine. you. Uh, happy, I know. happy Tuesday. Happy Tuesday. I know. It's, it's been a while. I saw you at TPE, and you were always so busy, which was a good thing, that I never got a chance to stop by your booth. So, um, like I said, you've been on my radar to have on the show for a while now, because when I used to write for um, Cigars and Leisure, I remember you were one of the, the stories that I wrote that I was actually happy with as I was like developing my whole writing career. Um, there are some that I wish I could have a do over, which I have in a way over the years, but I remember your story and it being unique and um, kind of following you since uh, a lot since the, in the years in between. So it's great to have you on the show today. Oh, it's great to be here. Thank you very much. Um, I've been, you know, obviously I've followed you. We've known each other for a few years, and uh, it's always great to, you know, have these opportunities to connect, you know, with your audience and with our, our customers and followers to, to share the story a little bit, or a little bit, to, uh, yeah, just tell the story. It always helps. Always bring us together with our, our end users. Our end users. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I spent a couple hours today looking over uh, different interviews that you've done with different people. And I've seen that there's one question that always seems to come up, which I won't say it's a controversial question at all, but it's like the common question whenever somebody speaks to you. And it's the fact that you're Canadian. <laughs> that seems to be like the, the number one thing that people love to talk about. Um, the fact that you're Canadian. So I figured we could get that out of the way early on. Um, so what part of Canada are you from? Uh, I, I grew up, actually was, was born and raised in Labrador, Canada. She's a, a small, a small, excuse me, iron, iron ore mining town um, on the far east, northeast part of Canada. Canada. Wow. So... Like I said, I don't know why that's usually the, the most common question, but I've seen like, you know, I look at the little timestamp on my computer. And I'm like, they're talking about this for a long time. So they seem to be fascinated by the fact that uh, <laughs> that Dean Parsons is from, from Canada. Um, you know, looking at you, you would think, I mean, I know you spent a lot of time in the Dominican Republic. So you, you probably have the same, uh, not issue, but the same Thing that when I travel to the Dominican Republic, they think I'm from there. So they immediately launch into Spanish. And unfortunately, Spanish was not a subject that I excelled at in high school. So I always have to break their hearts and tell them I have no idea. I have a slight idea what they're talking about, but I don't have a full grasp of what they're trying to tell me. Yeah, I definitely ran into those, uh, those uh, same sort of not challenges, but it was actually a positive thing, you know, living in the Dominican for nine years, nine years I was, you know, very welcomed with open arms um, by locals and, and travelers as well. And it just, uh, having the, you know, I guess it's breaking the color barrier, barrier in some ways, but, um, you know, I'll back up a little bit and uh, probably the reason uh, in a lot of these interviews, we talk about Canada because a lot of people that follow me know I had a long history in Canada. I, was, I was, uh, played hockey at a high level in, uh, in the east coast of Canada and had a short stint in Laval, Quebec, where I played hockey there. That's for prior to me, probably one of the most famous hockey players to come out of that organization. I wasn't there very long, but had a short stint there. And then I ended up in policing on the east coast of Canada and Fredericton, New Brunswick for 10 years, something I got involved in during university and through, through summer employment and our control and eventually went to the police academy and served 
left Canada, yeah. left the Turks yeah. and Caicos in 2004, and until 2009, and then the Dominican Republic. So what, what made you make the move from Canada to Turks and Caicos? I, I had an opportunity. I had gone there on a vacation in uh, 2003. I think I went back again in 2004 uh, to visit a friend of mine. And the developer that uh, he was working for offered me a, an opportunity to come down there and work with the real estate group. And, and it was it was a no-brainer and, and a great opportunity. Uh, life changed. I mean, open for, so I just kind of jumped and, and did it. And really didn't look back. Didn't look back. Well, wow. so you go, you get into real estate, and if I can remember correctly from the story that I did on you years ago, you you started to find that cigars were a nice way to kind of uh, give something to your clients to smoke or to to relate to them outside of just the whole business talk. Is that correct? Yes, uh, even at that time, you know, back in 2005, six, there weren't a lot of cigars in Turks and Caicos Islands at all. Um, so I, we had a lot of clients coming in and out that were, um, we were entertaining, whether it be fishing or on the golf course or just dinners out. And so I started to travel to the Dominican to bring back cigars to have in our office for, for social events, for gifts. And, and, uh, closings and uh, back then, I mean, I was I was familiar. I was a cigar smoker, but not really a hardcore uh, cigar smoker. But I would bring back Fuentes, Davidoff, Flores, and you know all the top Dominican brands, and and just share with our customers, clients. And each trip would would get to meet some manufacturers, spend some time with people in the business, and and really began to educate myself about cigars and about the industry. So at what point did you decide that maybe instead of just being a consumer or a purchaser of cigars that you wanted to have your own brand? This was right around 2006, seven, seven. And that actually at that time I, I launched a cigar called the Turk Select Cigar. And it was a cigar we branded, I branded for the Turks and Caicos Islands. And it was, Continue to be an extension of, of gifts and something that I was doing locally in the Turks and Caicos, but it was produced in the Dominican. And that was the first cigar that I kind of branded and launched and, and put out into the into the world, well, into the Turks and Caicos Islands. It was something exclusive for there. It wasn't available anywhere else. And, and how long did you kind of let that cigar brand kind of um, flow out before you decided to like I said, to create Epic. That brand started in 2007. And then when I moved to the Dominican Republic in 2009, we, I discontinued that and then, and then started trying to figure out a name and, and, and a concept and an idea that I could, a brand that I could market, you know, internationally. And that's when Epic started. The, the concept of Epic started in 2010 but the brand itself or sorry 2009 the brand itself okay so i'm always curious about people who start their own cigar brands because when you hear their stories it's typically i wanted to start my own cigar brand and then magically they have their cigar brand and everything is great <laughs> so what what was that process actually like like how did you how did you really have to get your start into creating this brand well it started initially with with coming up with the name and the logo and and, and starting the process to secure the names the dot coms and things like that and then started working on cigars the the maduro was the first cigar but i had spent enough time going back and forth to the to the dominican from turks and caicos that i had an idea of what i wanted to create for for a uh, cigar that i could market internationally not just a cigar cigar that was the turks and caicos cigar was more focused on tourism it was a light body sumatra wrapper cigar dominican nicaraguan binder filler um, um 
So we started with the Epic Maduro in 2009-10, just test blends and working on that and, and launched it in late 2010 and then added the Epic Rojo after that. But living at that point, I was already living in the Dominican and spending time, you know, weekly in Santiago and had the opportunity to meet and spend time with Jose Blanco, Jose Seas. And these guys were, were helpful in sort of shaping my direction and, and knowledge and all the business and, and how to how to slowly move forward what was the biggest misconception that you had about the cigar business before you became a, a brand owner uh the the growth i guess the growth curve and financially what it would take to to grow the business to a you know an international level um you you kind of budget and you think okay I'm gonna make I'm gonna make fifty thousand or hundred thousand cigars and you get a sense of what that may look like that may look like but by the time you get there your sales have grown the your retailer base has grown the market has grown and then you need to you need probably double what you thought you needed and and so on so one of those one of those scenarios be careful what you wish for what you wish for. Uh, so I imagine you, when you created this brand, like you said, did you have any idea how quickly you would sell through that first allotment that you had, or did you just say, I was, I'm just going to see what happens? I, yeah, we were, I was just bringing it at the start because I was still involved in real estate right through almost 2014. I, I was still connected to to the real estate group I was with, so I was just biting off a piece at a time. But once again, it was a scenario where you had I had to make a decision to, to switch gears and and focus on it full time, which I did. That made a big big difference. And I'm always curious with people who come into the industry from different industries. So, for in your case, you were coming in from real estate. So did any of the skills and experiences being doing real estate help you launch your company? Was there any crossover in, in terms of like how you sell something in real estate compared to how you sell a premium cigar? I mean, absolutely. It's, it's, it's this business. And, and I think anybody in the cigar industry will tell you that it's right from working with potential manufacturers to retailers to the end consumer. Um, people get to know you. It's a lot easier to sell your cigars. If if people begin to trust you, it's easier to, to place your cigars and access the real estate and straight humidors and things. So it's, it really goes hand in hand. A lot of the great skills, not just from, from real estate, but real estate. Uh, Skills that I obtained, you know, through policing and, and just skills skills in in teamwork, growing up playing hockey and, and other you know team sports. In terms of when you create started creating blends, like did you how involved did you did you want to be in the process <laughs> compared to how involved did you end up being in the process? Um, I know I wanted to be involved because I wanted to learn, and and there were certain certain tobaccos that I was really gravitating towards. You know, I started with the Epic Maduro and has that Eddie Piaca wrapper and Brazilian tobacco was attractive to me uh, as far as as far as taste profiles. And and something I use in all my cigars, I use Nicaraguan Viso in the filler component and everything we make in Epic. So it's those are sort of places that I started, but, you know, I would, you know, I work on cigars with Orlando our factory and then take bundles and go on the weekend or the following week and sit with, sit with Jose, Jose Blanco and get him to smoke it and give me feedback and feedback and get feedback from other, you know, people that I looked up to in the industry, young and, and older and older, and then go back to the drawing board again. And, and usually, Usually, the cigars got better over time. Better over time. How long did it take you to develop that first blend for Epic? The Maduro. Maduro. I mean, we 
I mean, I launched it and, and it changed multiple times, almost over a two year period. And that, that happened with the, with the Epic Grow as well. Both those cigars changed dramatically over probably a two year period. But, you know, we, I wasn't making tens of thousands of cigars at that time. So it was, so it was an easy change once we went through a portion of the inventory. In, you mentioned that you were working with Jose Blanco, who's pretty much one of the industry's, you know, most well-known blenders and um, personalities. So what was it like for you at that point in your career? It was early on in, in your cigar career. So what was it like working with him? Well, we, we didn't actually work actually work directly. Uh, Rolando VML, who, who uh, was no longer with us, was was running the factory where I was producing Epic. Um, Jose was just someone I looked up to and became a friend and uh, gave me a lot of great advice, uh, business advice for the industry and, and also advice on, on, on cigars and and what I could do to make them better. So we, we just established a friendship more than anything and and he was happy to, to give me good advice. What was the best piece of advice that he gave you about the cigar industry in particular? Well, yeah, there's, there's probably too much to uh, to think about, but you know, believe in yourself, believe in what you're doing. Um, um, but don't be afraid to, to go back to the drawing board and make changes. And, and I did that several times with cigars as, as the blends evolved. And I think most manufacturers do that as they grow in this industry. But also, and this wasn't Jose. Um, I remember chatting with, with Pete, who's going to be on your show next week, Pete Johnson and I. Have he, was on, he was on last week. Oh, he was on last week. Okay, I saw him. But I remember meeting Pete at my first show at the... Um, IPCPR, I think it was 14, 13 or 14, it was 14. Um, um, but he had said to me, you know, a lot of people are going to have opinions on, on your cigars and what you're doing. And, and he said, just he said, just make what you like, make what you enjoy, and, and just focus on that. And I really do. I mean, I've gotten lots of advice on different blends over the years, and not everybody's going to like what you make, but I uh, I stand behind what we make, and I've, I've gotten great support and knowledge from people that know a lot more than me about cigars so it's about learning and learning and sticking to your guns somewhat and and putting a product that you stand behind you know i was working on some story in the last week um, i've been just in the whole rack writing and somebody i can't remember who said this but they said that you know if you try to make a cigar that everybody's gonna like you probably won't make a cigar that anybody likes so it's kind of goes along with that idea that you, you're not going to please everybody with every cigar or every cigar blend and uh you just have to know that so you kind of have to as you said kind of make something that you like because at least you know that that you like it and if you like it then there has to be somebody out there as well who's going to like it yeah, and and there's and there's in cigar making. There's some combinations that just don't work, whether it be a different wrapper, binder, or filler wrapper combinations. And you and you know when those don't work. So, um, and people like Jose will tell you, you know, don't combine these two components. You know, this is going back 10, 15 years now. Um, so. So, for the for the most part, and what's great about it is we all make different cigars. We all have our palates are different. Um, tobaccos change as well over the years, and, and also our palates mature and and change and change in general. So what I like now, I mean, really, all the cigars, even the, the Maduro and Perot, are still cigars that I smoke today, and that I get great feedback on. But I think as we grow, there are new there are new varieties of tobaccos coming. There's a lot more tobacco in, in Nicaragua that we're that we're exploring, you know, moving forward and forward different opportunities. So it's exciting. It's exciting. Is there a particular tobacco that you just have fallen in love with over the years? 
the, the San Andreas, I really, you know, the Project E, the Epic Project E, actually the one, the one in the background here, has that Mexican San Andreas wrapper, which is, which is something I, I was excited to work with many years ago. It's not a cigar that I, that I, uh, I really enjoy, and the tobacco that I want to work more with. What's your most popular cigar right now? Just the, the, Maduro. the Maduro, believe it or not, the Maduro. Yeah, Maduro. Yeah. I feel like uh, there, from my discussions of people on deep cuts, is like there's so many people who don't understand Maduro. They think they do, but they there's so many qualities to it that just go beyond. You know, they think it's Maduro. They think it's automatically going to be strong, and it's not always the case with Maduro tobacco, from what I've um, been told. So it's just so many different qualities to a Maduro cigar than I think what people think. Absolutely. I think they know more than, than they do. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I always, I mean, the Epic Maduro, actually, I have one, I have one here. I always tell people, you know, it's got that dark wrapper, but this is a cigar that I can give to a first-time cigar smoker if he's, if he's had dinner or I, I know what he's having to drink or what he had to eat during the day. Um, but I make a, I make a full-bodied version of that cigar that's the Maduro Forte that I, I definitely wouldn't give to a first-time cigar smoker. So it's, it's not always about the wrapper. It's also about what's, uh, what's happening inside and in the binder filler and the combination yeah, and I always I, I think that's important. You know, I, I keep going back to this uh, speech I heard Jonathan Drew give one time about stacking your products, um, about how you need to have like an entry level product, and then from there you, you push somebody you know upwards to you know what whatever's your premium product, and I think making cigars that are accessible that are not going to blow out your palate is super important because not everyone is, uh, you know, likes full body cigars or, you know, is ready for that. So creating a cigar that, you know, can get people hooked into your brand and then moving them elsewhere into your portfolio just seems smart. It, it, it does. And, it, it does and, and when I started with Epic, obviously the Maduro was our first blend. And then I added the Corojo, which is that has a Corojo Ecuador wrapper. That's actually a stronger, stronger cigar than the Maduro. And still, be, that one and the Maduro Forte are pretty close. Years later, I came out in 2015 with the Habano and then 2017 with the La Rubia, which is our Connecticut offering. So I kind of came out with some of the fuller, fuller body cigars first and then added the Connecticut later. Um, but in the La Rubia and the Connecticut, I use San Andreas component in the binder, um, which is which really makes it a different and, and unique Connecticut from other ones that I've had. And a cigar that's really starting to take off for us. I've noticed over the years that cigars are one of those um, product categories where people are constantly looking for what's new. It's almost like you know technology or iPhones, you know. Everybody expects every year for you to, to release the next iteration. Do you feel any pressure from the industry, not so much from yourself, but from the industry to release new stuff all the time? Or are you just or have you been able to kind of get people to slow down and focus on, you know, what you put out so far? We're we're trying to do that. Uh, the focus on our core lines, you know, the Maduro, Habano, Corojo, and, and Connecticut, the, the Rubia, we call it, the Connecticut. We've always kept the focus on those lines. We've added different sizes over the years. We have come with other new products. I did some private label products for the New York Smoking Shields group, the Maryland Smoking Shields group years ago. I've added the Epic Project E, which you see in the background. I've added the Epic Maduro Forte. We haven't been as um, aggressive, maybe, as some brands in just adding, you know, one and done cigars or limited edition things every year. Uh, we we really want to grow our our core line and then slowly add new lines moving forward. And 
you know, once again, we we, we all have that FDA, FDA, you know, leaning over us to, to wait to see what's going to happen. So we've been a little bit more cautious, more cautious. And and I'm spending more time now traveling, and traveling, and doing events, doing events than than in the factory in the as I did in the first of years. Yeah, I mean, you're one of those people in the industry who seem to be constantly on the go. <laughs> I, I, I remember trying to, to book you for the show. I think it was last year and you were, it was just, you were just on the go. I mean, so how important is it, you know, do you think is, is that person to person in person engagement to, to grow a brand? Cause I know so many companies are trying hybrid approaches of, you know, advertising, versus in-person events and they're trying uh instagram is like their main thing but they you know or video is now is their main thing so how important is it to kind of actually be out there on the road it's so important to to get that, get that momentum that we're looking for and to, to build that broad customer base it's essential that you're you, you get that communication face to face and you know even through the through the covid times i drove multiple times from you know, florida to texas and new york and new jersey it's uh yeah it's just one of those things you have to that you can't replace that face-to-face interaction and, and those handshakes especially in this business there's probably more than a lot of businesses that that people are involved in and when you're at these events and you're speaking to customers and people who follow your brand online, like what is that interaction like? Because I still think that a lot of people struggle with the in-person event. Like how, how do they make it extend outside? Like how do you make it not just like a meet and greet kind of situation where they meet you and then after they leave that store, it's like they lose contact with you or they lose contact with the brand. Like, how do you keep that momentum going outside of those, just those little localized events? Sure. Well, the biggest, one of our biggest tools, well, obviously social media, Instagram, Facebook, I manage our social media accounts and, you know, our, our Instagram account is one of the larger uh, cigar related, cigar related, Account as far as numbers, and I, I spend hours daily, daily communicating, responding to customers, tagging customers, reposting, and that really keeps us connected. Not just in the U.S., but we're, you know, we're in 15 countries now, and we've got a lot of great, a lot of great distribution partners and consumers. Our, our consumers in Germany, Canada, are, are some of the best. Some of the best. On an average day, I can get 50 to 100 requests, posts, tags, tags wow. through, through just through Instagram. Through Instagram, so it, it can be a little bit overwhelming. But I, I try to get to get to them all, and if not, you know, certainly share the stories and stories and tag tag people as much as I can, and that really helps keep the connection when when you don't get to see people as much as you like. And I'm sure it makes it different too that you're the one doing the posting you're the one doing the interacting behind the account because you could easily probably hire somebody to do that but then you lose that that touch and i'm sure that you probably get some feedback through some of those interactions that make you go hmm or you know let me write that down or let me consider that next time this thing goes into production or next time we have a meeting over here about a, a product release let me take that in consideration i don't do you think you would if, if you weren't the one doing that work of the social media uh, marketer, engager, <laughs> do, do you think that, you know, you, you will be able to, to still kind of be in touch with everyone and uh, all your followers and all your retail partners? No, you, you wouldn't. And, and that's why it's, it's as important to me for, you know, constant motivation that you're doing the right thing and that you're, that people appreciate what you're putting out into the market and and that just people appreciate your, your cigars and not just for me but our you know nowadays nowadays our whole team in the factory and in, in santiago most of our rollers they're on social media i've featured a lot of them in different videos and reels and things and, and they also follow a lot of the consumers so 
it's a big deal for for everybody involved. It kind of completes that circle when you know the guy rolling the cigar is commenting on a, you know a ten thousand view or or a million view video that he's in on on one of our Instagram posts. So it's 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 pretty cool and it keeps them connected as well. They they know they're not just making a cigar. You know when they're putting that label on the epic cigar they. They know it's a cigar that, that I created years ago and, and a lot of hands and a lot of love, a lot of years, a lot of expertise go into creating that. It's not just me. It's not just the epic brand. It's all the people all behind us and part of what we're doing. And I'll say, too, that what you said, like putting a human face to the product, I believe, is also important because people buy from people. They don't necessarily just buy from products. You know, this isn't a commodity or this isn't like something that you need like washing powder or oh, dishwashing soap or whatever, where you just want to know if it works or not. Or sometimes you might buy what your parents bought or, you know, what your wife or your husband or whatever buy, you know, this is something for me, the cigars are, are very personal. So you kind of need some type of human interaction and you need that person like yourself there to kind of put yourself in front of the brand to help tell that story. Absolutely. I mean, even today I smoke, I smoke other cigars from other manufacturers and the majority of those other cigars that I smoke are people that I look up to or people that have influenced me or, or people I just, I like what they're doing with their brands or what they're doing with their blends and it is it's, it's about people the people that i don't have a connection to it's rare that i'm going to pick up that cigar or to even inquire about it inquire about it at any time in your career did you ever feel that maybe you did not want to be the face of the brand or you did not want to be out there in front of people because i know that there's some people who struggle with that were you one of those people not at all not at all i i knew i knew that that i had something special not just when I started to learn about cigars and started with the Turks and Caicos cigar, but when the when I moved to the Dominican in 2009 and had the opportunity to secure the name Epic and to start creating a brand, I knew I had something special, and it's it's been evolving since then, and and um, it's it's really exciting, and I love I love being out there doing what I do and connecting with people on a daily basis and and creating this creating this. Creating history, you know, in a lot of ways. Well, yeah, I mean, it's funny because I have a lot of minority owners on Deep Cuts over the years. And you're one of those people that kind of gave them inspiration that they can actually do it. Like they can actually make it in the industry. Um, I don't know if you're even aware of that or if you hear from those types of people. But I know so many that, you know, you and Sean Williams seem to be like the the, <laughs> the motivators for the, the, the industry in terms of, like I said, minority owners, they say, you know, I see what Dean did and I seen what Sean was able to do. And, you know, that motivated me to get out there and, and try to see if I could, you know, be successful. And I have spoken to, to a lot, a lot of those uh, up and coming brands and, and, you know, I've known Sean for a lot of years, you know, even before he was with Cohiba and, and, He's been, a, you know, an inspiration uh, for me in a lot of ways. It shows that, you know, when you're out there, even though you may not know it, people are watching, people are following and supporting. Um, sometimes from, from places you, you don't know or notice on a daily basis. And I think if you stay focused and you, especially in the world today, there's so much noise with social media. There can be negativity out there as well. And, and people at times feel like they're competing. Um, there's lots for everybody, and I've said this in different interviews over the years. There's enough room for everybody. Uh, I think if you just focus on what you're doing and uh, put good energy out to the world, the opportunities are going to come, and, and you're going to grow. And, and that's, that's that's what's been happening, at least for us and for the Epic brand. Um, one of those partnerships that I think we have to talk about is your partnership with Xander Gregg. So how did that come about and how has that helped you kind of transform your business? Yeah, it's uh, so I guess 2019, it's been three years now. 
peers. Um, Xander Gregg, uh, Arthur Barbarian, the owner of Xander Gregg, and, and Natsy Brands acquired Epic. Uh, we have been friends for, well, acquaintances for probably, well now, probably 12 years, but I met Arthur many years ago in the, in the Dominican Republic through some common friends, friendships and meetings and different gatherings over the holidays when I was in Santiago. And Arthur had been following me and watching the growth and progress and wanted to help me continue that. And so we had different discussions over the years, you know, at the different IPCPRs and then from time to time in Santiago. And it was just a natural progression to, to you know, connect with somebody, somebody who had even a bigger vision than myself, who has distribution, who has brands. It's, it's easy to connect with people that want to be involved and help you grow a cigar business. But if you're not knowledgeable in that business, it's really of no benefit. And it was a real, a natural fit for for Arthur and I to, to get together. And, and now we've got a, an amazing team of people and we've got our own distribution. We growing in leaps and bounds. We've probably grown more over the last three years than in the first, you know, nine, ten. So it's exciting and it's a, it's a good place to be in. And now we're we're really providing more value for our customers, not not just from from a brand standpoint, but from a distribution standpoint as well. At, at what point did you because I think this is important for so many other business owners uh, or people who create their own businesses and products, but at what point did you kind of realize that maybe, you know, you did need some assistance or somebody like, you know, Xander Gred to kind of come in and help you manage some other things or take some things off your plate that was kind of holding you back? Because I know you're, you're probably like most cigar brand owners who start out, they start out trying to do everything in their own to try to keep costs down to try to keep the overhead down to kind of increase those margins. But then at some point you just kind of realize that you can't do it all yourself. Yeah. And it was probably in 2016 and 17, we had really grown quickly and there were a lot of things happening that, uh, you know, one person couldn't handle. And that was right around the time when I knew uh, that, that I need to find the right person. And, and it had to be the right person. That, that's the challenge. As I said, there's lots of people financially well off that, that love cigars and want to get involved in a, in a cigar brand and, and do things without the right partnership and the right understanding of this business. You, you can uh, not not make good decisions. And I was fortunate enough to to have known Arthur for a lot of years and, and understand what Sander Gray does and, and also seen the success he was having with his brands. And that was just, it was a natural fit. And, and now I'm very much involved in, in in all of our brands, not just the Epic side of business, but, but on the NatSeco side as well, where we have you know multiple premium cigars that are, that are performing really well in the market. So uh, it's an exciting time for me and for Epic, but for all of our brands. What's your, look, looking at your, what you do on a daily basis, what's, your favorite part of your job, and then what's the part that you don't like as much? <laughs> the favorite part is probably you know the in-person events and and retail events. And, um, the the hardest part, the tough part, is is the travel or the, the getting stuck five hours in, in Dallas on your way back from California to, to, to Miami. Um, those are the challenges. So, and and to always. To always understand that uh, no doesn't mean no for good. It just means not right now. You know, when when dealing with retailers or really trying to access some of those, some of some of the bigger accounts or retail accounts that we've been working on for a long time. It's you need that persistence and that focus to to keep pushing and pushing forward and driving. And and on top of that, you you have to with the travel, you have to take care of yourself. And that's something I really focus on. Is, is you know my daily routines, my workouts, which which aren't easy. A lot of days, I don't feel like getting up and going to the gym. But when you've been on the road for three weeks, you really need to keep that some you know some sense of normalcy and and uh, 
you need to take care of yourself to put a, you know the best version of yourself out there when dealing with your customers and, and consumers and, and retailers. Yeah, I think that's an important part that you don't really think about either is how do you manage to travel so much and yet obviously stay on a routine, which includes exercise and, you know, not eating terrible food, which I think happens when you travel a lot. Obviously, you're not in your own kitchen uh, cooking every day and fast food or food out is is right there. But I mean, if people see you in person, you're probably one of the fittest people in the industry. So. <laughs> how have you been able to like manage to keep that all that kind of stuff like i said in check it's just uh it's focused and and i know we, we've got a plan you know we've got a long-term plan for for our brands and for how we're gonna uh you know continue to penetrate the market and uh, i'm i'm front and center of of all those uh, things so it's, it's just you feel better and and i know once once again if i'm not I, i've gone through periods you know pre actually even pre-covid where I, I put on a bunch of weight traveling so much and not in a good routine and it was actually right at the start of covid i, I just really started to focus on on preparing myself for being back on the road. It really wasn't that long. Even during COVID, I, I was on the road, you know, 200 days. So you're just, you're more effective. You're more successful when you're, when you're taking care of yourself, when you're in a routine. So even when I'm on the road, I, uh, I don't spend a lot of time in cigar lounges late at night, like I used to years ago, because a lot of times you're not doing business late at night. So I try to get my work done during the day, see customers, you know, late morning, early afternoon and uh, avoid traffic. And, and because I'm not on the road for a couple of days or a week, I'm usually on the road for minimum a week at a time as much as, you know, six weeks, sometimes straight. Wow. What, you know, PCA is coming up. So are you working on anything for that trade show? Because for those watching PCA is, the big industry, one of the big industries trade shows. And it's the time of year where you see a lot of the new releases kind of being announced. <laughs> so are, are you working on new releases or are you kind of focusing on what you already have? We, we have one new release we just announced with our, the Nat Seco, the Casino Real line, which comes out of Nicaragua. We're adding a Lancero. Uh, we will be adding some other lines in Epic, just not, um, not, for the PCA, um, I say that cautiously because we are working on some things. If they're ready, we, we may have a limited release. But right now, the only thing we're releasing at uh, the PCA is, is a new Casino Real Lancero. And we're working on uh, a few other things, which uh, you'll hear about moving forward. But uh, we're, we're not quite there yet on, uh, on, on a few things we've, we've had in the works for a while. Has any of these supply chain issues hit you and Epic in any way? We've been very fortunate. Um, three years ago, you know, when, when Sander Greg took over, we, at that time, we increased our production by a lot. And so we actually haven't had any back orders. I think we had some Berlanceros on back orders. Uh, a month or so ago, but nothing for more than a couple of weeks. And our supply chains are, are solid, and we've got a great team in Dominican. And, and the same thing with our all of our lines from, from Natsiko. Uh, we've got a, a great system in place, and, and plus we've got a, a lot more space to store cigars you know, in our warehouse in the U.S. now than I had before. Uh, a little bit earlier, you are talking about, and in other interviews I've seen you do, you talk a lot about the factory and spending time in the factory. Like how important was that to you understanding cigars and just the process and also like what it means, you know, when they say that, you know, each cigar goes passes through 300 hands. I think some people kind of hear that and they don't understand what that really means. So how important has it been for you to kind of spend time in the factory and, actually see the process, see the people who are actually making the product, those who are helping you bring Epic to life. Yeah, I mean, it's essential, really, uh, not just for me, but 
Um, but a lot of times for the people that are that are creating the cigars, so this from from the farmers to the to the, the women and men in our in our factory, spending time over you know over nine years connecting with them on a weekly basis and and being able to do things and being able to to share you know my stories with them and vice versa, see their kids grow up and to to see their families grow. It's it's that personal connection when they when they see that. Epic cigar on Instagram or, or Facebook, they they really feel a sense of pride, and um, it's it's powerful for me, but also to 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 learn from to spend time over all these years with with people. You know, I I, I keep repeat, re, repeating Jose Blanco's name, but he had a big influence on me. Um, I spent a lot of time with Enrique Sejas and, and Jose Sejas and Ricardo. When they were, you know, first developing the whole Matilda line, even before that, when Jose was still running Tabacalera Garcia, had been invited to their home several times and shared cigars numerous times, played golf with Jose and, and, and Casa de Campo over the years. So, just for me, having that influence and understanding of of not just cigars but the history and and how different people work differently with tobaccos and and there's a lot of a lot of things you can't you just you're not going to experience if you go to the Dominican once or twice a year. And I've been blessed to, and fortunate to to spend all that time and, and around people that really uh, I look up to it, to as mentors. Even to to you know over the years had the opportunity to sit with Carlito many times and and have discussions and and just listen. You know, it's powerful. And I think that's also a big part of the industry is kind of just sitting back and be able to do like I, what I'm doing now is just listen to different people in the industry and their experiences and learning from them um, because it is such a unique industry that you can't, there is no book <laughs> out there about, you know, how to start your own cigar brand. And even if somebody tried to write a book like that, I don't think it would you, it, you would get the whole experience, the the experience um, in words. Just um, it's just so unique. This whole industry, it really is, and and it's it's you know it's growing in leaps and bounds right now. As I said, there's so many new brands. There's there's new tobaccos that are evolving, new strains. Um, new manufacturers, new plantations. I mean, look at look at AJ Fernandez. We we were fortunate enough to make a cigar, a ten year anniversary cigar with AJ, and um, that's done really well for us and and given us a little bit of notoriety as well and some recognition, some brand recognition for us. I mean, all the things he's doing in the industry are incredible. So it, it's great to to make those connections and, and have people like AJ to look up to. Now, this may seem like we're backtracking a little bit for people, but I've heard you tell the story about how you were just going through different names for your company in the beginning. And I think it's something that, again, that most people with businesses go through trying to figure out what name has not been taken yet. <laughs> and you stumble upon Epic, which had not been taken. Um, but at the same time, like I'm sure that you could have come up with a different name for it. So what about epic kind of stood out to you and what what made you think that that was going to be like the perfect name for your brand and to represent you well i mean it's it's obviously a, a pretty cool name um initially it, what sparked it was a friend of mine one of the sports i was active in and still am active today is, is kiteboarding i learned in, in turks and caicos and i did a lot of motocross and turks and caicos enduro riding up have motorcycles most of my life but um the name epic as i said related initially brought me back to this friend of mine's kiteboarding company and so that stimulated me to okay let's let me see if epic cigar is available which it was um but the dot com was available taking the next steps to, to trademark the brand was was of the utmost importance because otherwise we we wouldn't be where we are today um and uh, and it, to be honest, it's it's I've my life's been kind of epic over the years from you know growing up in Canada and playing hockey to to ending up in, in 
Turks and Caicos and then Dominican Republic. And uh, I've been able to travel a large part of the world. Uh, had some, some, been able to establish some great friendships and relationships over the years and, and get to do some pretty cool stuff. I lived on the beach for, for almost nine years in the Dominican and between paddleboarding, surfing, scuba diving, you name it. Um, had a pretty great life and we're, and we're just we're just getting started so it's exciting and and really epic is itself and you, uh, you'll see as we start to evolve we're, we're creating a lifestyle movement around the brand as well um, it's not just about the cigars it's you know we always hashtag epic moments epic lifestyle live epic smoke epic so it's, it's not always just about the cigar itself it's also about your lifestyle and what you enjoy and what you define as an epic moment. Do you have a, any specific epic moment in your life that kind of stands out as like the most epic of epic moments <laughs> that you can <laughs> <There's>, share? <laughs> <laughs> probably, probably when, uh, when, when, when Arthur and I finally sat down with, well, there's a couple. <laughs> Probably when Arthur and I sat down and and uh, we decided to move forward, uh, you know, with this new relationship with Sandra Craig taking over, that was definitely an epic moment. But another time that, that sticks out for me, I was I was flying from Santiago to Miami, headed to New York, and I would often get upgraded on those flights on, on American. And just before we boarded the plane, I, I received my upgrade. And a couple seconds after that, I, I see Carlito one day walking through the terminal i said i said to myself wouldn't it be great if i if i get to sit next to carlito or even if he's in first class at least i'll be able to say hi and this is i had met him several times but we had never spent any time together and uh, sure enough i was he was in i don't know 4d and i was in 4e i was sitting inside him and our flight ended up getting delayed we spent close to two hours on on the tarmac in santiago and then the flight up to Miami and then more time once we landed in Miami. So uh, we had an amazing conversation, made a great connection with him. And, and, and that was definitely a moment that I would describe as, as epic. Uh, that's definitely uh, epic. For any person in the cigar industry, that would be a, uh, the epic, like I said, the epic of epic moments. <laughs> so, um, usually at this point in the show, uh, I like to, there's like two questions that I ask all the guests. It's kind of like the advice part. So the first of those questions is, how would you define your why or your motivation for doing what you do? My why, gosh, it's, I mean, I, I've always been driven, whether it's been in sports or um even in my career in policing, you know, I had different opportunities to work with different um, areas in the police department. I, I worked hard to, to get on the SWAT team and uh, a very elite group within most forces. And our force was, was a small group of, uh, of men and women. Um, so I've always driven myself to excel and to, to do my best to be successful. And that's, and just believing in myself uh, when nobody else does as well. I've always sort of been that guy uh, who's defied, defied the odds from time to time. And I'm just driven to, to succeed. And, and um, I, I say this and I say this a lot, I'm just getting started, but we really are. I mean, if you look at anybody in this industry, some of the most successful brands have been 20, 30 years and longer, you know, getting to that point. So we've got a long ways to go. Um, I'm blessed to be in this position. I've got a great team of people around me and me, and the opportunity for growth is, is everywhere. So uh, my my why is, is just the same reason I get up every day and, and, and I'm thankful. I just, I'm happy to be alive and, and life is good. So. Uh, the second question is someone who comes up to you and they say, Dean, I want to start my own business. This might not necessarily be a cigar business or relate to tobacco. But what advice do you give that person who says that they want to start their own business? They want to be an entrepreneur. How did, what does Dean tell them to get started? You gotta, you gotta take the leap. <laughs> um, 
you know, when I left policing in Canada, it was a leap. Uh, I mean, I'd be retired now or close to it. No, I'd probably be retired. Um, you just, you have to go all in. And uh, I think that's a lot of people that I follow and, uh, you know, I read a lot. I follow a lot of uh, people that inspire me to, to be able to do great things and stay focused. But you just, you have to take that leap and, and, and go in 100% on what you're doing and, and focus your energies. And, you know, one of the things that, I mean, I'm, tw- I'm a 24-7 guy, you know, if I'm not selling cigars, I'm talking about cigars or smoking cigars or doing social media. And and I think you have to dedicate 100% of, of who you are and what you're doing to, to be successful. I mean, you can you can have a successful brand, but to to compete with with all these great brands that are in the market, you just you have to be almost twenty four seven, and um, that's been been my focus now more than ever. And uh, I, but I enjoy it. I don't feel like I'm going to work when I'm at work. So um, it's great to to have that to feel that way because I don't think a lot of people feel that way about their job. Yeah, and and just going off of that, what. How would you define success? Success is just being being uh, being content, I think, and and being uh, happy with with where you are. It's I think that's a, it can be it can be a very individual thing, um, but success for me is 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 feeling good. You know, when you lay down at the end of the night that you you put a good effort in and that uh, you're going to get up tomorrow and, and do do the same thing. Uh, nothing's going to come. Nothing's going to be handed to us. Um, so it, success is, is more of a mindset and, and then a, then a finish line, you know, I think a lot of people define success as where you've been or where you are or where you're, you know, once you get there, okay, you're successful. But um, I think it's more of a, a success mindset knowing that, you have to keep moving and, and keep keep growing and changing and learning and and you know fall down six times, get up seven and and keep pushing forward. Definitely. Well, I think that was a great uh, insight into the world of Epic and the world of Dean Parsons. Like I said, I was looking forward to this in interview for quite some time. So thank you for coming on. Um before you go, there are going to be some people who are going to be listening to this uh, in audio, so they have not seen the banner that's been up for most of the show. So could you tell people what website and what social media handles they need to follow in order to keep up with Epic Cigars and yourself? Sure, sure. Uh, on EpicCigars.com is our website. On Instagram, Epic Cigars, all one word. And on Twitter, Epic Cigars, and on Facebook as well. Just Epic Cigars is our handle. Uh, and you can also check out our Nat Seco line as well. Nat Seco Cigars on, on Instagram and Twitter. Um, because you'll, you'll see a lot of crossover with our brands. And we do a lot of sharing posts, stories, and reels for both brands. And we do, for example, when we do the big smokes in Vegas and Florida, we, we have both booths side by side. And, and we have the same team. Our whole team is... is all epic and, and well awesome well thank you for coming on today and uh sharing this almost hour with with us and uh talking about all things epic um for people who are watching this on facebook or youtube or twitter please make sure you hit that like or subscribe button um, if you're listening to this on any of the podcasting platforms hit the subscribe button and also leave a review of uh, deep cuts and what you think. And we'll kind of check out those reviews and tweak the show uh, going forward with uh, based on your feedback. And um, if you've missed any of the episodes, including any parts of this one, they're all be available on deepcutslive.com. So there's 80 over 80. I can't even keep track anymore. There's like 87 or so <laughs> different episodes for you to watch and, and uh, just a whole bunch of people from the industry. Um, and we'll have to have you back on, Dean, at some point to talk about everything that we didn't get to in this hour. But um, 
definitely looking forward to seeing you at uh, the trade show in a couple of weeks now. So that will be uh, fun to kind of see some of the things that you have going on and what made it, <laughs> what, what made it to uh, final production or at least into the, the point of being able to be shared with the world. I, I appreciate it, Antoine. Thank you so much for having me on. Uh, definitely please come, come and see us and, and just pull me out, pull me out. We've got a pretty good team. So if you want to have a chance to, to break off and chat, just, uh, just kind of tap me on the shoulder and I'll, uh, I'll do a quick exit out the side, but uh, we're, we're looking forward to a successful show again this year and uh, seeing our, seeing our customers that we only get to see, see once a year. But I, I really appreciate you having me on. Congratulations with your continued success with Deep Cuts and, I'm a fan, and uh, certainly feel appreciative to 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 share some of my some of my story with you, and and your fans. Oh, thank you so much. Um, so we have another show this Thursday. It'll be at a special time, so it'll be at three thirty p.m. Eastern. It'll be with um, Pierre Jordan and Pablo Rodet from Les Fines Lames. So they're an accessory company out of France. Really cool accessories. Um, you'll definitely want to watch that. And um, we have uh, actually a little break next week, finally, <laughs> uh, before we get back to uh, some more back-to-back -back episodes. So um, definitely, like I said, check out DeepCutsLive.com for all the past shows and some other news items. And um, I'll see you back here next time. Thank you, Dean, and thank you, everybody, for watching. Thanks for having me. Thank you.